This is the Bible in one year, day 187. How to cope with the challenges of life. President John F. Kennedy said, We stand today on the edge of a new frontier. But the new frontier of which I speak is not a set of promises, it's a set of challenges. It sums up not what I intend to offer the American people, but what I intend to ask of them. Life is a set of challenges, problems and hassles. We sometimes imagine that if we could just deal with the immediate challenge we're facing, all our problems would be over. But life's not like that. If we resolve one problem, others are just around the corner. The temptation is to see these challenges as preventing us from carrying out the ministry God has given us. In actual fact, dealing with the problems is the ministry. As one former Bishop of Kensington put it, these are not the problems associated with the ministry. They are the ministry. The Bible is true to life. The psalmist faced pain and distress. Paul faced false accusation and the frustration of being kept in prison on trumped-up charges. The kings in the Old Testament faced battles and a massive building project challenge. As I read the passages for today, I'm reminded that the relatively minor challenges, problems and hassles that I face are nothing compared to what the people of God have faced in the past and still face around the world today. Psalm 81 Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music, strike the tambourine, play the melodious harp and lyre. Sound the ram's horn of the new moon, and when the moon is full on the day of our feast, this is a decree for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. When God went out against Egypt, he established it as a statute for Joseph. I heard an unknown voice say, I removed the burden from their shoulders. Their hands were set free from the basket. In your distress you called, and I rescued you. I answered you out of a thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Talk to God about the problems. Are you in a time of testing? God sometimes allows us to be tested, as he allowed his people to be tested by the waters of Meribah. But he does not want you to face the tests and challenges of life alone. You can talk to him about your problems. God says, I removed the burden from their shoulders. In your distress you called and I rescued you. I took the world off your shoulders, freed you from a life of hard labor. You called to me in your pain. I got you out of a bad place. Whatever situations or difficulties you may face, you can bring them to God in prayer. God removed their burdens and rescued them in their distress. The psalmist starts, therefore, with worship, celebration, and joy. Sing for joy to God our strength. Lord, thank you that you are my strength and joy as I face challenges and problems in life. Lord, I call on you today to rescue me. New Testament, Acts 25. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested Festus, as a favor to them, to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. 
Let some of your leaders come with me, and if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. After spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood round him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they couldn't prove them. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, There is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they have faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, whom Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, Tomorrow you will hear him. Trust that God is in control. Faith means trusting God. Faith, as C.S. Lewis wrote, is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. It's hard to trust God when everything seems to be going wrong. Luke records Poole's trial in a very objective and unemotional way. This must have been an extraordinarily frustrating time for Paul. This great leader of the church, evangelist and teacher, is locked away, apparently unable to do what he's called to do. He's in custody, enduring the physical constraints and discomfort of imprisonment. Serious charges were brought against Paul. He defends himself by pointing out he's done nothing wrong. But Festus was more interested in what people thought than in what was right. Our first question should always be, what is the right thing to do? But Festus was more concerned about popularity than justice. 
In the end, Paul appeals to Caesar. When King Agrippa arrives, Festus discusses Paul's case with him. Festus says, When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I'd expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, whom Paul claimed was alive. The resurrection of Jesus should always be at the heart of the message we proclaim. The only accusation that could be made to stick was that Paul was preaching that Jesus was alive. Yet numerous other accusations and false charges had been brought against him. For Paul, in the midst of all these difficulties and frustrations, it must have been very hard to see what good might possibly come out of all the dishonesty, delays and dithering in his trials. Yet, as always, God was at work for good. As Paul himself wrote, we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. First, in the short term, it resulted in an opportunity for Paul to speak to Agrippa. After hearing all about Paul, Agrippa said to Festus, I'd like to hear this man myself. In times of frustration and hassle, you never know what opportunities may appear, but sometimes they do. Second, in the medium term, it resulted in Paul being sent to Rome. Paul had expressed his desire to go to Rome to preach the gospel, and the Lord himself had spoken to Paul, saying that he would testify in Rome. It was because of what took place in Paul's defense of himself that he was eventually sent to Rome. Third, in the long term, 2,000 years later, vast numbers of people have read Paul's story and been encouraged to know that he too faced false imprisonment, accusations and criticism. I suspect that Paul would have been astonished in the midst of all these difficulties to know how much good was going to come of them. You may never know in this life how God uses your faithfulness in the midst of challenges. Lord, thank you that you are with us whenever we face accusation and criticism. Thank you that through all these frustrations of life, you work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Old Testament, 2 Kings 12-14 to In the seventh year of Jehu, Joash became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for forty years. His mother's name was Zibiah. She was from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years Jehoiada the priest instructed him. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Joash said to the priests, Collect all the money that is brought as sacred offerings to the temple of the Lord, the money collected in the census, the money received from personal vows, and the money brought voluntarily to the temple. Let every priest receive the money from one of the treasurers, then use it to repair whatever damage is found in the temple. But by the twenty-third year of King Joash, the priests still had not repaired the temple. Therefore King Joash summoned Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and asked them, Why aren't you repairing the damage done to the temple? Take no more money from your treasurers, but hand it over for repairing the temple. The priests agreed that they would not collect any more money from the people, and that they would not repair the temple themselves. Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in its lid. He placed it beside the altar on the right side as one enters the temple of the Lord. The priests who guarded the entrance 
put into the chest all the money that was brought to the temple of the Lord. Whenever they saw that there was a large amount of money in the chest, the royal secretary and the high priest came, counted the money that had been brought into the temple of the Lord, and put it into bags. When the amount had been determined, they gave the money to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple. With it, they paid those who worked on the temple of the Lord, the carpenters and builders, the masons and stone cutters. They purchased timber and blocks of dressed stone for the repair of the temple of the Lord and met all the other expenses of restoring the temple. The money brought into the temple was not spent for making silver basins, wick trimmers, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, or any other articles of gold or silver for the temple of the Lord. It was paid to the workers who used it to repair the temple. They did not require an accounting from those to whom they gave the money to pay the workers, because they acted with complete honesty. The money from the guilt offerings and sin offerings was not brought into the temple of the Lord. It belonged to the priests. About this time, Hazael, king of Aram, went up and attacked Gath and captured it. Then he turned to attack Jerusalem. But Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred objects dedicated by his predecessors, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Ahaziah, the kings of Judah, and the gifts he himself had dedicated, and all the gold found in the treasuries of the temple of the Lord and of the royal palace, and he sent them to Hazael, king of Aram, who then withdrew from Jerusalem. As for the other events of the reign of Joash and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? His officials conspired against him and assassinated him at Beth Milo on the road down to Silla. The officials who murdered him were Jozabad, son of Shimeath, and Jehozabad, son of Shomer. He died and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David, and Amaziah, his son, succeeded him as king. Two Kings, Chapter 13 In the twenty-third year of Joash, son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned for seventeen years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord by following the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebad, which he had caused Israel to commit, and he did not turn away from them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel and for a long time he kept them under the power of Hazael king of Aram and Ben-Hadad his son. Then Jehoahaz sought the Lord's favor, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw how severely the king of Aram was oppressing Israel. The Lord provided a deliverer for Israel, and they escaped from the power of Aram. So the Israelites lived in their own homes as they had before, but they did not turn away from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. They continued in them. Also, the Asherah pole remained standing in Samaria. Nothing had been left of the army of Jehoaz, except fifty horsemen, ten chariots, and ten thousand foot soldiers, for the king of Aram had destroyed the rest and made them like the dust at threshing time. As for the other events of the reign of Jehoahaz, all he did and his achievements are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Jehoahaz rested with his ancestors and was buried in Samaria, and Jehoash, his son, succeeded him as king. 
In the thirty-seventh year of Joash king of Judah, Jehoash son of Jehoahaz became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned for sixteen years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He continued in them. As for the other events of the reign of Jehoash, all he did and his achievements, including his war against Amaziah king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Jehoash rested with his ancestors, and Jeroboam succeeded him on the throne. Jehoash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, Get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, Take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, Strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Elisha died and was buried. Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, Suddenly they saw a band of raiders, so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Hazael, king of Aram, oppressed Israel throughout the reign of Jehoahaz. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion and showed concern for them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To this day he has been unwilling to destroy them or banish them from his presence. Hazael, king of Aram, died, and Ben-Hadad, his son, succeeded him as king. Then Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, recaptured from Ben-Hadad, son of Hazael, the towns he had taken in battle from his father Jehoahaz. Three times Jehoash defeated him, and so he recovered the Israelite towns. 2 Kings chapter 14 in the second year of Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, began to reign. He was twenty-five years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for twenty-nine years. His mother's name was Jehoadan. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father David had done. In everything he followed the example of his father Joash, the high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. After the kingdom was firmly in his grasp, he executed the officials who had murdered his father the king. Yet he did not put the children of the assassins to death. In accordance of what is written in the book of the law of Moses, where the Lord commanded, 
Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. He was the one who defeated ten thousand Edomites in the Valley of Salt and captured Selah in battle, calling it Jokthiel, the name it has to this day. Then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, with the challenge, Come, let us face each other in battle. But Jehoash, king of Israel, replied to Amaziah, king of Judah, A thistle in Lebanon sent a message to a cedar in Lebanon. Give your daughter to my son in marriage. Then a wild beast in Lebanon came along and trampled the thistle underfoot. You have indeed defeated Edom, and now you are arrogant. Glory in your victory, but stay at home. Why ask for trouble, and cause your own downfall and that of Judah also? Amaziah, however, would not listen. So Jehoash, king of Israel, attacked. He and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced each other at Beth Shemesh in Judah. Judah was routed by Israel, and every man fled to his home. Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh. Then Jehoash went to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate, a section about four hundred cubits long. He took all the gold and silver and all the articles found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. He also took hostages and returned to Samaria. As for the other events of the reign of Jehoash, what he did and his achievements, including his war against Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Jehoash rested with his ancestors and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel, and Jeroboam his son succeeded him as king. Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, lived for fifteen years after the death of Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. As for the other events of Amaziah's reign, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? They conspired against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent men after him to Lachish and killed him there. He was brought back by horse and was buried in Jerusalem with his ancestors in the city of David. Then all the people of Judah took Azariah, who was sixteen years old, and made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Take every opportunity that God gives you. In the middle of this rather depressing history of the kings of Israel and Judah, there's an incident in the life of Elisha that encourages you to take every opportunity that God gives you to be persistent and never give up. Leaders are a mixed bag. Some do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Some do right in the eyes of the Lord. God is extraordinarily gracious. And when Jehoahaz, who did evil in the eyes of the Lord, sought the Lord's favor, the Lord listened to him. Whenever you seek the Lord's favor, he listens to you. In this list of leaders, Joash was probably the best example. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, even if it was only for part of his reign. Joash took on a building project. Like many projects, it took far longer than he expected. But by the 23rd year of King Joash, the priests still had not repaired the temple. The king calls a meeting and asks, Why aren't you repairing the damage done to the temple? 
they do eventually get on with the work. They collect the money they need. They all acted with complete honesty and progress was made. Of course, today, God's temple is no longer primarily a physical building, but the people of God. Our money and efforts should go to building up the people of God in number, evangelism, immaturity, discipleship, and in care for the community, social transformation. However, sometimes we need buildings for this, and it's not wrong to spend money on the infrastructure of church when necessary. As well as the challenge of buildings, the people of God face the challenge of battles. In particular, in this passage, we see how they had to face Aram. Elisha says to the king of Israel, Get a bow and some arrows, take the arrows, strike the ground. The king struck it three times and stopped. Elisha said, You should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. I remember reading these verses in 1998 after we'd done the first Alpha initiative inviting the nation to Alpha to hear the good news about Jesus. We were wondering whether to do a second initiative or wait another year or so. I sensed as I read these verses that we should keep on striking the ground again and again. Whatever challenges you're facing today, keep praying, keep trusting, keep looking for opportunities to serve God and never, ever give up. Lord, as we face challenges ahead, give us a determination not to give up, but to persevere and carry through to the end. Pippa adds, In 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 18, it tells us that Joaz brought off the king of Hazal of Aram just as he was about to attack him, giving him all the treasures of the temple. Sometimes sending a present to someone who is angry with you works rather well. <laughs>